Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day to you fathers. Um, and I'm going to echo what Mark said. You know, a couple years ago, I was invited to preach at a church in San Antonio on Father's Day for a men's meeting. And I said, oh, well, this will be easy. I'll just look in the Bible. I'll find some really good fathers. I'll bring out a little character study. It'll be good. And not to say that there aren't good fathers in the scriptures, um, but I did find that the Bible never specifies any of the characters as good fathers. There's nothing in there that just really points to, to a story of someone who just excelled as a father, except for one. In the Old Testament, he was called Yahweh. And he is the only good and perfect father that our scripture has given us, give us an example of. Um, and so I'm thankful that we do have a good father in heaven, even if we did not experience uh, good fatherhood from our earthly fathers. And so we are thankful for you fathers who are, who are um, seeking the Lord and trying to, to do as he's called you to do for your children. So today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to be continuing our series on Jesus' letters to the churches by reading about the church in Sardis. And so before we read this, I want to just pray for us real briefly one more time. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning, Lord. I thank you for this church. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here, Lord God. And I ask that you would have your way, Father, that you would just humble us, Father, that the flesh would fade away and you would fill us with your spirit, that we would walk in step with you. We would speak your words. And Jesus, you are the pastor of this church. You are the king of your kingdom. And we submit ourselves to you this morning. So Father, whatever you wanna say, I pray that it would be spoken in this place. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Revelation chapter three, starting in verse one. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, have you have, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy." He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So let me ask you a question this morning. Um, has anybody ever heard somebody refer to a church as dead? Like, oh, I went to that church, but it was just it was a dead church, or I left this church because it was a, a dead church. You know, it's really interesting language, right? Like, what do you walk in and there's just caskets laying around? No. What it, it's kind of a strange thing to say. And of course, the heading here in the New King James Bible, at least, it calls this church the dead church. And so one of the things that I would consider as we read this is, what constitutes being a dead church? church. What does that mean? And if a church can be dead, well, what, what are the things uh, that make it alive, right? 
Because it's no good to say, oh, well, you're a dead church. Okay, well, if I want to be a live church, what do I do? <laughs> right? So, so what constitutes a dead church? And what does it look like to be alive? Again, starting in verse 1. I know your works, that you have a name and that you are alive. But, he, but Jesus is telling this church, but you are dead. You are dead. And it's very interesting. Before we could even talk about this, um, we need to remind ourselves of who the church is, right? The church is, is not this building or any building. The church is not a 501c3 organization. Um, the church is a group of people who have been called out together and who name the name of Jesus Christ. It is an assembly, a gathering of God's people. And that, that collection of people, that body of people is the church. And so the, there is a church, the church that extends to every believer worldwide. And we are part of the same church. We're part of the same body. There is no separation. You are still brothers with any born-again Catholic, with any born-again Lutheran, with any born-again Baptist, with any born-again Pentecostal, rather you agree with them or not, you are still brothers. They are still part of the one church, and so are you. However, for the sake of um, you know, being able to manage and comprehend those things, we have local gatherings, and so this is Friendship Bible Church. And all that means is that we are a group of people inside of Jesus's church, and that we gather together and, and we worship and do life together. So we're, we're a local congregation, but we are not separated from that one true church. Therefore, if a church is really defined by its people, and if a church is dead, where is the issue? Everybody do this. Okay. This is where the issue is because we are the church. And so, you know, I, I, I remind us uh, of this often, but there is this attitude we can have that everything we read in the Bible is always about somebody else and some other church and some other pastor and never about us, right? And, and that's not a good way to read the scriptures. That is not, um, that does not show integrity in our walk with Jesus. We should always consider this for ourselves first and then for others. If it gives you eyes to see what's going on around you, that's great. It should. You should be, a, be aware of how people are teaching, how people are preaching, how people are practicing, whether it's wicked or, or righteous. You should be aware of those things, but it does no good if you're not aware first of Amen? All right. So he says, hey, I see that you are alive, that you have a name, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found works perfect before God. So, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, it, what is Jesus exactly saying? He said, okay, you know, yeah, I see that you're there. I see there's a group here. Y'all gather, you worship, you eat, you're doing whatever you're doing. You're coming together. Yes, the church of Sardis, you do exist, but you're dead. There's no life in you. And as we've talked about in the weeks past, typically in, in, in these letters to the churches, primarily what Jesus is doing is he's coming and he's standing before this church and he's rebuking them and he's telling them to get their things in order because even though they have works, even though they have things that he approves of, there are things that are not honoring to him. 
There are things that are not honoring to him and the Lord wants us to be good examples of who he is, of who his character is. And so I did something um, just for fun. <laughs> and it actually took me a second because it, it, of course, what came up at first was not very helpful, but I Googled the word dead, okay? And y'all might think that's silly because we all know what the word dead means, but you know, I like to Google words, the definitions of words, even words I know, because sometimes it brings insight into what you think you understand. And what was really good about this Google search is looking at how are the different ways that we, we use the word dead, right? And so obviously the word dead can mean um, no longer alive. That's the first thing that comes up. Okay, well, but, but how, right? And so there are some other implications and context of how we can use this word. Having lost sensation, they're, they're numb. They're numb. And in fact, one of the, one of the uh, scriptures talks about people who being past feelings do these things. Very interesting. It can, be, it can mean to be numb. Being dead can, can have uh, displaying no emotion, sympathy, or sensitivity, which we might say having no sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, to God's ways. Um, we no longer are relevant. We're not important. We're not helping the world in any way. Jesus says we're supposed to be the light of the world and the salt to the earth. It can mean um, characterized by a lack of activity or excitement not productive. What does Jesus say about the branches that don't bear fruit? Not productive. Not having any shine or brilliance, something that is dull. No longer, no longer functioning, especially because of a fault. An empty or no longer being used. So I'm just gonna stop there. But it's interesting just going through that list and kind of meditating on some of those things, having no brilliance, having no passion, not being fruitful, not being relevant to the world, that these are things that can characterize us as being a dead church. And so Jesus is coming to the church of Sardis and he says, look, I see you're there. I see you have a name, but you're dead. There's no life in you. There's no zeal in you. There's no fruitfulness in you. I mean, we don't know exactly specifically what he's talking about. The scriptures don't give us that, but we can consider, we can consider probably what are the things that he's pointing out in this church. I know your works that you have a name and you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. And so there's a key word in here, or key phrase, and it's be watchful. So everybody repeat with me, be watchful. Wow, that was a little bit of a lag there, but y'all did it, I'm proud of you. <laughs> and so there, there is this command in the scripture quite often to be watchful, to be sober, to be alert, okay? And for many different reasons, the Bible says that we need to be sober and alert because 
we have a very real enemy, the, the devil who comes around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. So we need to be awake and we need to have eyes to see these temptations and these struggles and these ways that he's trying to come against us. Paul says, hey, we are not unaware of the schemes of the devil. We know how he works. And so he's telling us to keep our eyes open and to look for these things right? Jesus tells us to be awake and to be watchful. Why? Because we do not know the day he is coming. And so there's a command that at all times we need to be hoping and waiting for Jesus's return. And if that is truly our hope, if we are truly waiting, there's an expectation of what our life should look like because of that. And it's not a life of idleness. It's a life of love. It's a life of surrender. It's a life of works. It's a life of diligence. It's a life of pursuing the living God because everything on this earth is temporary and is going to fade away. But he says, when you enter my kingdom, I'm going to test your works by fire and anything you did, even if it was in my name, but it was really for yourself, is gonna be burned away. But only those things that were done in my name for my kingdom will remain and you will have an everlasting inheritance that will not fade, where thieves cannot come in and steal, and when the moth will not destroy. And Jesus says to those who have been faithful in just a little bit, I'm gonna make them rulers over many cities. But to the disobedient, to the ungodly, to the cowardly, to those who begin to drink and beat their servants because, oh, My master isn't coming for a long time. He says, they will be cast out into utter darkness and cut in pieces. Those are Jesus's own words. If you don't believe me, Google it. Okay. And so he's telling us, what is the answer to being dead? Well, it's first of all, it's being watchful. It's being awake. It's being alert. And it's funny because how did this church of Sardis get into this position of Jesus saying, man, you're dead. I don't even know why you're coming together. You're dead. How did they get in that position in the first place? It was probably by not doing this. By not being watchful in the first place. By not being concerned with how are we as a body living for Jesus. Julie coming and presenting us an opportunity to simply serve our community, to serve the police, to show them love. How are we being relevant and, and fruitful in our community? The scriptures tell us that we're all part of the same body and that every joint and ligament being us is supposed to supply power to one another so that the body edifies itself, edifies itself. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Are we doing that? Are we being watchful for these things? Are we aware of when we begin to slip into idleness? Are we aware when we or our brothers and sisters begin to fall into depression? Has anybody ever read the fruits of the spirit? Raise your hand. Anybody ever read the fruits of the spirit? Is depression in there? Didn't think so. What about anger? What about malice? What about slander? What about bitterness? What about accusations? Are those in the fruits of the spirit? No, well, there's only one other option, the work of the flesh, right? Are we being watchful and aware of these things to pull out destructive, godless things from our own hearts and to help our brothers do the same so that we can be a pure body 
with no leaven, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, right? A whole lump with no leaven at all, since we truly are the unleavened body of Christ. Are we being watchful for these things? I've said this, I don't even know how many times, I don't know to who or where, but I'm gonna say it again. The one thing the Lord has put on my heart for the last month and a half, Philippians 2.21, for all, thing, all people are concerned with their own interests and not the interests of Christ. When we read that and then we read scriptures that talk about faithfulness and fruitfulness and service, which one describes us better? Are we alive to God? Are we alive to his desires? Or are we here, gathered, we have a name, and dead? Because that's what Jesus is telling this church. And it's interesting You know what I think about, if we think about, okay, here, here's a body. The body's there. It's got a name, right? It's not just non-existent. You know what? It gets fed every week, right? It moves around a little bit. It gets some circulation. Some people come and visit every now and then, but there's no activity. There's no passion. There's no work. There's no love. There's no fruitfulness. You know where we see that in the world? ICU, comas. There's this, there's this state of, of people who are there, are, there are people in this world who are on extended life support for years and years and years and years. And sometimes if the family has the money and they want to do that, I mean, they can keep a family member alive for, for forever on life support. And by the way, I'm not saying anything about that in general. I'm just using that as an as analogy that it, if that is what we would compare ourselves or our church to, and I'm not saying we are, but if that was the case, how encouraging is that? <laughs> and that's what Jesus is. You're a lifeless body. When I come, when I seek fruit from you, what do I find? When you gather together, for what purpose? Where is the zeal? Where is the passion? Where are the works? He says, be watchful, be aware, consider these things and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. He said, you're not only dead, but you're dying more. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Matthew 5, 48, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. I have not found your, your works perfect before God. You know, Jesus, Jesus has a lot to say, a lot of red letters, right? But one of, the, one of the things he tells us is that he has a purpose. He had a purpose for coming. And we think about, when we talk about, well, why did Jesus come? Oh, what a die on, a die on the cross for our sins, to forgive us. We're gonna go to heaven. We're gonna have little halos. It's gonna be great, right? That's kind of our, our answer. And, you know, for sure, definitely, that was the purpose uh, the Messiah came, to save his people from his sins. And yet Jesus is, is multifaceted, right? There's, there's many reasons and angles for the ministry of Jesus Christ, even today, as he stands before his father in heaven. And one of those purposes that he gives us by his own mouth, and I should have wrote this down. I'm sorry, I did not bring the reference. Um, again, you can Google it. Everybody's got the internet nowadays. Uh, Jesus says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. John 10, 10. Pastor Mark is a gold star. 
uh, I can't, John 10, 10, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And I wonder if, if we were to read that verse and we were to suddenly begin to experience the Lord and, and six months, a year, two years go by and we're growing and we're growing, we've experienced this abundance, we've experienced fruit, we've experienced the spirit. And then we read, read in two years, John 10, 10 again, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Is that more abundantly still true? Is it still true? Absolutely. And in five years, when you've grown and your life has been more abundant and you read John 10, 10, life more abundant, is it still true? Absolutely. Absolutely. More abundance. I'm not saying you're gonna have a new car every two years, okay? No, an abundance in the spirit, an abundance in a real life before God that never fades, that has eternal value. I have come to give you life and life more abundantly, but he says to this church, this dead church, you're there, you have a name, you're alive, but you're dying and you're actually going the opposite direction of the, of the reason I came, the desire I have for you. You're not growing, you're just flatlining and now actually you're starting to fall off. And the Lord does not want you going backwards. You know what the Bible calls that? Backsliding. In Hosea 14, the Bible says that backsliding is something God has to heal for us. I want everybody to read that if they get the chance this week. Hosea 14, just read the whole chapter. It's very short. He says, come to the Lord, take words with you. We will no longer trust in our chariots. We will no longer call on Egypt to protect us because they should have been calling on the Lord. Take words with you, forgive us of our sins. And the Lord says, I will come and I will heal their backsliding. That is not the desire of the Lord. But even beyond that, there's this, there's this idea sometimes that, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not in the bars, right? I'm doing all right. I'm not doing cocaine. I'm just doing a little of this, you know, but I'm all right. You know, I'm not chasing after women. I, I'm doing all right. And there's a, there's a quote most, anybody who's ever been in the gym in the last 10 years might, may have seen. It's very prevalent. And it says, you're either getting better or you're getting worse, no one stays the same. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. And if we think about someone in a coma on life support, they're there, they have a name, they're alive. And, and you know what? The nurses and the family, you're happy as long as whatever health this person have is maintained. And if there's not a drastic drop in their health in a day, we're doing good. The Lord does not want us to be a dead congregation. He doesn't want you to have dead faith. Let's make that a little bit more personal. Before we can talk about the church, we have to talk about our hearts, our faith, our obedience, our love. The Bible says in the end times, the love of many will grow cold. And let me, let me uh, bring to light a lie of Satan. Doing this this flat line thing, this I didn't get better, I didn't get worse. It's very easy to be comfortable with, but it's not the will of the Lord. It is not God's will. And the scriptures say to abound in good works, to only speak what edifies, to have life more abundant, to love diligently and faithfully. And so there's this kind of this concept of, of being renewed every day, right? There's this concept of every day, the spirit of God who lives in us has given us resource. You are not lacking anything 
to experience God more today than you did yesterday and last week, to be more useful this week than you were last week, to grow an understanding of who God is this week more than you did last week. In fact, one of the answers of God to his rebellious people in the Old Testament over and over, and I just read this and I believe it was Hosea 6, 7? I think I mentioned it last week as well. When he's, he's, he's just gone through and judged his people and then there's this answer on what repentance looks like. And it says, let us return to the Lord and let us seek the knowledge of God. That that is, that is an answer to our fallen state is seeking the knowledge of God and growing in him. But where do we even begin? Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. Well, here's the thing. There's, um, if anybody's ever read, read the Bible, you know there's a lot of things it says to do and not a whole lot of time to do it, okay? <laughs> and the Lord deals with us graciously, mercifully, and I'm so thankful for that because I'm not perfect, right? Um, anybody who knows me knows that, I don't gotta say it. But, you know, I do the best I can. And the Lord brings us along and he deals with one issue of our heart at a time. And it does no good to look at this giant wall full of commands and say, well, I'm just missing it and let's make it perfect tomorrow. No, but where are those things that God is addressing in your heart today? What are those things that God has addressed in your heart this week? What are those things that as I'm talking and the Holy Spirit's stirring in your spirit that he's bringing to light? Those things that you're, you're aware of, that you're struggling on. He just says, man, those things, those issues, those one things that are, that are there, maybe you pray, you have a prayer life, but you wouldn't call it an exciting one. You wouldn't call it a consistent one. Go home and bring that bad boy to life. Throw some fire on it. Get in a room, close the door, put on some music, cry. Wrench your stomach, fall over on your face. I don't care. Stand up, raise your hands. Seek the Lord while he may be found. for I have not found your works perfect before God. Let me see, where are we going here? Let me find where I left off. In verse three, Jesus then says, remember therefore how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, what did he say? Be watchful, right? But if you will not watch, no, I'm good. Oh, I'm okay. Jesus died for my sins. I'm, you know, that's, I'm good. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, who have not walked in this way, who have been faithful to me. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So Jesus first tells us, hey, uh, there's this issue and how do we address it? First of all, it's to be watchful, to be sober-minded, to be alert about the reality of your life, the reality of your faith, the reality of your body. And what are those things that are lacking and how can we begin to just seek the Lord and strengthen those now? But there's something else that he says afterwards that, that makes walking with Jesus a lot easier. And I'm gonna, and I'm, I'm gonna speak because I, I spend a lot of time with a lot of you, not all of you. 
And I know that this one thing, not only what I'm, what I'm about to say next, not only is it missing for us as a church, it's actually rejected a lot in pride. And I'm just being honest, okay? I'm not trying to beat you up. And if you get mad when I say it, well, you'll know I'm talking about you. And if you don't get mad when I say it, well, then I guess I'm not. You know what I mean? But that's, that's our job is to encourage each other with truth, right? The light is truth. Um, in Hebrews 13, 7, Hebrews 13, 7, it says, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. Listen to this. Whose faith follow? Considering the outcome of their conduct. If you see someone who is being used by God, who is fruitful, faithful, full of wisdom and knowledge, and you don't think that their spiritual disciplines and the wisdom that they're speaking is how they got to that, there's a pretty big disconnect in what you're seeing there, okay? And Paul was not shy to say, hey, imitate me as I imitate Jesus, Paul wasn't saying, I, I am Jesus, I'm the perfect example of the Christian life, but he says, no, when you see those things in me that look like Jesus, when you see those things in me that are fruitful, that are faithful, that bring about a, a good outcome, copy those. Copy them, copy my behavior, copy my disciplines, copy my heart. And there's something I say all the time as we're talking to leadership and we see things in different places, I'm like, hey man, there's no copyright in the kingdom, okay? If it works, use it, right? Just use it, it's good. And so here Jesus says, not just remember what I told you. No, 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 no. He says, remember therefore how you have received, the manner it was given. How is it that the apostles came? How is it that they taught? Paul says, remember how I lived among you as he was making a case to the church one time. He's saying, don't just think about my words. Think about how I lived when I was there and my life was blameless, not just my teaching, Right? Remember how you received the word of God and the word that you heard and repent. Turn away whatever has put a block between you and those examples, between you and those teachings. Turn back and go back to the things that were delivered to you. Remember therefore how you have received and heard and then hold fast and repent. And so here's the thing, guys. I have grown a lot and I have been challenged a lot, and I have repented a lot because of good things I've seen in other people, in Pastor Mark, in Stephen, in David, in Vincent, in Randall, in uh, Michael, in Josh. I have seen things that look like Jesus that just by seeing them reveal that area of my life and how much it doesn't look like Jesus. And I had turned back to saying, okay, man, I see how that guy's prays and that's just not where I am today. I need to start praying like that. I don't want his gift. I don't want his blessing. I'm not envious. I just see something that looks like Jesus and that man and I want to be better at that, Right? When I first came to this church, the Lord, the Lord told me very specifically to come to this church, very specifically. Never even been here before. He said, come here. I came two weeks. The Lord said, stay. Seven years, eight years later, here I am, right? 
And what? No. Oh, talking to someone else. <laughs> and, I'm just kidding. I knew you were talking to someone else. And, you know, one of the things I have been blessed by is, is my time with Pastor. I used to meet with Pastor Mark for four hours every Tuesday. I'd be here on Sunday mornings and an hour every night for Man Church. Anybody remember Man Church? Those are the good days, right? And I learned a lot about from, from Pastor Mark on just his integrity towards the scriptures, on him teaching verse by verse, on him not being concerned with, you know, how good it sounds, but is it true and are we faithful to the text? I've learned a lot from that. And I've imitated Pastor Mark in a lot of ways. I've seen people who have a heart to worship and I actually started to learn the guitar just to worship. That, that was it. I just, I wanted to, if there was no worship leader here, I wanted to be able to fill that gap. And lo and behold, it changed my life because now I worship all the time in my free time, late at night, whenever, right? And I did, I was imitating people in my life that I saw something godly in. And I said, I need to add that to my faith. There's a passage of scripture, some of y'all may be familiar with, be diligent to add to your faith, knowledge and perseverance and so on and so on. That is what he's saying. He's saying, remember what you've seen, remember what you've heard and add those things which are lacking back into you. And some of us, all of us need to look at our heart and identify any pride or any stumbling block and take a sledgehammer to it. And if you've got brothers that get on their knees and on their face and weep and you see that God is moving through that and that's not just a show, maybe there's something in your life that should stir you to fall on your knees and to see God and to cry and weep. Not as a show either. And if we're honest, we do see those things and we do recognize those things. And, oh, well, it's good for them. What do you mean it's good for them? If it's good for them, it's good for you. But there are roadblocks in our hearts. And I can't give you a one, two, three, here's the easy prescription to get rid of those. You have to go before God, acknowledge those, be honest, and seek him until they fall. Because that's the only way. I can't answer it for you. There are things that no, no man has taught me. There were things that I had to just go before. It was just a question that came from the scripture and I just wrestled with God with it until he showed me an answer. And even if someone could have told me the answer, I wouldn't have received it until I got it from him. Amen? You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. And so in every one of these letters, or most of the letters, I don't know if everyone, maybe I shouldn't say that, but all throughout the scriptures, God is always making a distinction between those people who are called by his name and those who are actually his. And he says, even if I come against this church, I'm, those ones who have been faithful, I'm going to save. Their, their, their names will remain in my book of life and they will be with me because I've chosen them. And for the rest of the people in this crowd, some of you need to identify which one of those you are either through repentance because you truly have a heart towards God or in hardness because you don't. That's why Jesus at the end of every one of these letters, and I, we've, we've been touching on this attribute uh, of, of what he's saying, those who have ears, let him hear, right? For they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to those churches. Remember those, Hebrew 13, seven, one more time. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith 
follow, considering the outcome of their faith. I'm not even going to ask if we are or are not a dead church or if you do or do not have dead faith. I'm going to ask, are you okay with being a dead church? Do you want to have dead faith? Or is there something deep inside you that truly wants to serve the Lord, that truly wants to stand before him and say, or and hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Because that doesn't just happen just because it happens. It happens when we surrender more each day and give our hearts and our hands to Jesus. So one passage I, I wanna, I'm gonna, we're gonna close with this and we're just gonna read through it. And I want you to have open ears. If you've got an ear, open it up right now. And I want you to identify the things in this list that your life is missing. I want you to write this verse down, save it on your phone, whatever you have to do. And I want you to go back into it this week and I want you to live in it. And I want you to pray and ask God, how, how, what do you need to do for your life to look like this? Because we just saw Jesus coming to a dead church. Now I want you to, to see what the Bible uh, talks about as a life, as a life-filled church. This is Acts 2 verses 41 through 47. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. They were obedient to that command. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Then they continued steadfast, everybody say steadfastly, in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. In breaking of bread, that means they were together, they were eating together, right? They were having community. And in prayers. How were they in prayers? steadfastly. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through them. Next. Oh, through the apostles, sorry. Now all who believed were together. Everybody say together. And had all things in common. Say in common. Man, y'all need to wake up. And sold their possessions and goods. Uh, by the way, David gave you an opportunity to do that Saturday and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily, everybody say daily, with one accord, which means in perfect unity, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And this is the interesting thing. You wanna be a church that's alive and active and full of grace and truth, just do all those things. And every year, the beginning of the year, I see all these posts on how are we gonna reach the lost? How are we gonna reach the youth? How are we gonna reach them this way? And every time I see one, I, I just I type on their little things like uh, share the gospel. Like you don't need a program, right? But the beautiful thing here is what we know for a fact from Acts 2, from John 17 even, is that when we live in unity and we seek the Lord in truth, the Lord will add to our church daily those who are being saved, that, that the church growing and the people being edified is actually a result of our unity and us coming together to serve the Lord however the gifts flow out. Because some of us bring, us bring them in, some of them go out and some of them teach them up. And when we do that together and when we see how we have fallen and turn back to the examples and the commands that have been given to us, then the Lord will be faithful to those who are faithful to him. Amen? Let's pray. (sighs) 
Father God, I thank you so much for this morning, Lord. I thank you for your word, Lord God, that your word is an encouragement, Father, that it's the life to our bones, Father. It's the lamp before our feet, that if we would truly just surrender ourselves, if we would obey the word of God, if we would move out anything that hinders, Lord, you would come to us more and more, Father. We would experience you more and more, and we would see the glory of God if we would simply believe. So Jesus, help us to use this word as a source of encouragement, of empowerment. I pray that we would be people who do not hear this and go home, but we would be the ones who hear the word and do it, Lord, that we might not deceive ourselves. Lord, let your will be done and bring life to our bodies, to our souls, our spirits, and to this church. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.